unofficial summer to you all, and welcome back to the Broadway Bulletin. We have lots of exciting announcements, including some exciting news from the theater world, so let's dive right into it. The spooky, thrilling show Grey House opens on May 30th over at the Lyceum Theater, and we're going to get more into this later down in the episode, but we're excited to welcome the first show of the 2023-24 season. Ooh, yes. Also, we will be saying goodbye to Bad Cinderella, which closes on June 4th. So happy trails to that entire cast and company. We wish them all the best. In some theater community news, the WGA Writer Guilds of America has asked the Tony-nominated members not to attend the 76th Annual Tony Awards. And we do want to emphasize that the WGA does not have an issue with the Tony Awards itself or with the American Theater Wing or Broadway League, but rather the company broadcasting the show, Paramount. And CBS. Yeah. Well, Paramount, CBS's parent company. Yeah, Paramount, who's who's broadcasting this, they're kind of boycotting it because of the contract issue. I just have a feeling we're going to hear a lot of people speaking out in support of the WGA, including us here at Stage Whisper. Hold the line. Pay your writers. In positive news, Pasadena Playhouse is to receive the 2023 Regional Tony Award. Congratulations to everyone out there on a well-deserved award. Some off-Broadway or Broadway chatter. The Wiz is set to be revived on Broadway in the spring of 2024. Now, of course, The Wiz is currently on tour. As I understand it, its final stop basically is Broadway. It's supposed to be a limited run, but... uh, We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I can't wait for The Wiz to ease on down the road here. That has actually been number one on my, you know, what show would you like to see revived on Broadway? Number one is The Wiz. Number two is Tommy. Number three is Damn Yankee. So any big producers out there listening, I got ideas. So I guess, should we dive into some shows that we've seen? Yes, let's please. So I want to start things off by talking about some great language I've heard. So I saw the sign in Sidney Brewstein's window, which is Lorraine Hainsbury's work. I A Raisin in the Sun is brilliant, but this one I think is almost neck and neck as a masterpiece of hers as well. I saw this at BAM in February and I'm so glad it came to Broadway. It's the the language in it is just so beautiful. Not only is the acting superb, it's a Broadway show, but the language Oh, Lorraine Hainsbury's words. I was mesmerized. Back row in the balcony of the Jones Theater. And I had somewhat of an obstructed view because of audience members leaning forward. Don't do that, by the way. And I just, I found myself wrapped up in her words. You know, there, there were times when I think if you tried to listen too hard in these long passages, you could get a little lost in these rants. But if you just listen to the rhythm in that you understood what was saying and I was like how amazing is that for a writer to be able to to create music out of their script Mm -hmm. so and it's a beautiful story it is so I I'm so happy that this show is there Uh, the other show I want to mention about the power of words I'm excited because it looks like we're going to have them on our show soon beautiful show called Orlando. It's playing at 59 It's written and performed by the incredible performer Lucy Rosslyn. And I did not know the story of Orlando, which is a book written by Virginia Woolf. 
as a love letter to her ex-lover. And it is explained to us by Lucy. And then it goes into the story of, of her lover, of, like a true story of hers. And what I loved about this was not only the language that she used, but also the storytelling, the way she told the story. It's so minimal. It is totally like theater on a shoestring budget. She had a lamp and a stool. And she was, and, and the effects, these, the use of shadow, the way that her face was barely lit, so we had to lean a little closer. And the, the thing, the two things that I took out most, and I told her this after the show, I had to speak to her, was number one, the vulnerability that she emitted on stage. I mean, she, you know, as, as actors, we, we are supposed to like cry. You know, oh, we go to a place of vulnerability and we cry. No, but I really saw her reliving that moment on stage, full on crying. And I told her, I said, I just wanted to get up and hug you and comfort you. And I've never had that experience in the theater. And I had to remind myself, you're at a show, you're at a show, you got to like sit here. But I said, because of the smallness and the intimacy of the theater, I, I just wanted to comfort you, one human to another. You were that vulnerable. And the other thing I loved is the phrases that she used to describe human relationship or labels dealing with like bisexuality and things like that. And you know, we have these great mottos for youth in particular, things like it gets better, right? But these were truly beautiful things like one day you will be like the you will be as bright and beautiful as the light in a prism. And I was like, God, that's beautiful. Or she described how in romance novels, you know, the, they're very descriptive about sex, essentially, you know, it was like a raging river or as deep as a valley in the mountains, right? And one of the things she said is, I want someone to look at me and describe me like one of those, like as if they saw Greenland for the first time. And I thought about how like we've seen Greenland on TikTok and that, and I thought, Wow, not just beautiful, not just gorgeous, but like really being like you are one of the most beautiful things in the world. So I can't wait to have them on our show to dive more into it. It was beautiful storytelling. The last two shows I want to mention. So I saw MTC Summer 1976 because it had Laura Linney and Jessica Heck, two of my favorite actresses. I adore Laura Linney. Like looking at her bio, I was like, seen all those movies, seen all those plays. And it was a really interesting story, and I loved the style it was done. Two women sitting at a table, telling their own version of the story of how they became friends in the summer of our bicentennial. But it doesn't even focus on the bicentennial. It tells this relationship of two women forging a bond after their kids become friends and navigating some really great issues that you would never have seen coming. I liked the writing of the play. It was good, but even better was just this connection you saw between Laura and Jessica and the characters and the just everything about it. It was a fun, fun afternoon. But that leads me to the final show I want to talk about, which I'm so happy you were able to join me at, especially because, look, I don't do scary. And so I was just such a wreck. I was, I, this is why I don't do scary movies. I'm the worst audience member because I'm very vocal about when I'm not comfortable. Yeah, you're very vocal when you're not comfortable. We saw Grey House. 
at the Lyceum. Now, I'm going to, look, I don't usually say that, like, I'm someone that goes to a show because of the big name at the time, you know, and the on the board or whatever, but I, I will see Laurie Metcalf in anything. I'll see her read a phone book. I love Laurie Metcalf. She is a chameleon. She can play so many different roles. And this is yeah another one where I was like, wow. Wow. Never seen her play a character like this. And she was brilliant. But also the director, Joe Mantello. I love Joe Mantello's direction because it's such a wide range. You know, uh, the two shows that immediately come to mind that are complete opposites are Wicked and the normal heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show that made me realize that I have to be here in New York, Wicked, and one my favorite plays, you know? This show, I knew I wanted to see it because, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a thriller, a frightening time on Broadway. And like I said to you before the show, I've always been interested because, you know, the, the genre of thriller or horror and that, that's more for film. You know, because they have the the underscoring and the jump scare, and you're more in the, you're more in in like the cinema, like they can do all the special effects and everything. I think it's kind of like harder to scare a live theater audience. Well, it's because they they control the scope of your viewing. Right. This show legitimately scared the bejesus out of me at times, and I was not the only one. I've never heard an audience shriek the way I did in this show. You know, I'm not going to give away when the moments were, but you know exactly what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And there were there were jumping points. I don't know if you jumped at anything, but I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely did. And I thought that the story was really interesting, and it kind of unraveled like a ball of string. Yeah. It started out really kind of just slowly unraveling and then by the time you get you can tell when you're getting to the climax of the story because it just keeps unrolling and rolling and rolling and you're like oh my gosh so it's a very thrilling story it's very entertaining it made me want more which I think is a great tale of a good story is wanting more from Uh, it I wanted to climb into the whole world and understand it I can't wait to talk more about this show because I have a lot of theories about that ending, about what that ending is and, and who... What it who, means. Yes, yeah, I, I, I really think I know who, who and what that means. You know what I mean? But I love this show. I think that it is the perfect summer thriller. I think the character development is wonderful. It's so good. So with that, I, I think we should move on to our final bits. Yes. And holy cow, do we have some huge things coming this week? I mean, huge. Can you say huge? I'm saying huge. Huge. Very big things. So the big f- things happening. <laughs> the first thing I want to mention will be happening tomorrow. This is enormous. We've been asked by the American Theater Wing. We will be participating with their with their live series to talk about people who. Work in the theater, but not necessarily directly. So, like, critics and reporters and whatnot. Well, we're going to be part of the podcasters part of it. So, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, you can tune in to our live on Instagram. Join us. We'll be having a chat on with the American Theater Wing. We'll be chatting with the podcast Sentimental Men about working in the podcast field here with the theater. We're really excited. We'll be speaking with their host, Kevin, 
So please join us Wednesday at 5. It's going to be a really great event, about a half an hour. But we were so honored to be asked by the American Theater Wing for this. And I can't wait to speak with Kevin. We're friends with their show. They're friends with us. We follow each other. They do really, really amazing work. It's a lot of fun. Check out their show if you haven't. It's, it's a really cool show. Um, also, in other exciting news. Exciting! We are going to be hosting a Stage Whisper Night at the Theater. Our first! Oh my gosh! Look at and all so this! And so that is going to be happening Sunday the 4th. Yep, 3 p.m. We're going to be seeing Walking with Bubbles. At the AMT Theater. We just had Jessica Hendy, who stars and wrote the show, on our show, Whisper in the Wings. That came out on Sunday. Very excited to see this show. And if you would like to join us at the show, we do have a promo code to receive a discount for tickets. Yes, you can enter promo code SWB25 and get $25 tickets. And it's only valid for that performance. Again, that promo code is SWB25. Also, following the show... There will be a talk back that you can participate in, led by our very own Andrew Cortez. Well, hey there. Yes, this is going to be exciting. We are starting these Stage Whisper Night at the Theaters, and we're hoping that you will come out, see the show with us, and then hopefully have some discussion with us afterwards. It may not always be a talk back with the cast, but maybe we'll go somewhere, get a drink, and have a chat. But we really want to encourage everyone to get together and support these artists here in New York. And this is a great show, a Drama Desk-nominated show. This is going to be a great night out. I know it's not technically night, but... Listen, all I know is that everyone needs to go online, buy their $25 tickets to go see Walking with Bubbles next Sunday, June 4th. Yes, we're going to make it a sellout. So I hope we get to see you there. I guess I hope I get to see you there. If you show up, come say hi. Look for the big hair. What can I say? We hope you've been enjoying the content we've been dishing out. We've got some great guests still lined up for you as we head into the summer. Wonderful festivals in store, so stay tuned for all of that. Of course, the Tony Awards coverage is coming up. Please make sure you fill out your ballots. Those are going to be available starting Wednesday, May 31st. You can fill out your ballot and then email it back to stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. All ballots will be accepted through June 11th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Prizes include a gift card to Amazon.com, iTunes, and others. We look forward to celebrating Broadway's biggest night and the great artistry that existed this year. And stay tuned to details about a possible watch party here in the theater district. Getting excited about that. So that being said, if you are able to, we do have our Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com slash Stage Whisper Pod. If you could please give us, a, you know, give us a dollar, give us a five dollar, give you us know, a million dollars. Become a subscriber. You'll get lots of backstage passes. Well, not back. You'll get, you'll get a backstage pass to our <laughs> podcast to get more exclusive content. Or if you just want to help us out and you like what we do, please, you know, leave us a tip in the tip jar. That way we can continue to give you the content that you love. And there's a lot of great things coming on the pipeline, everyone. We we are continuing to support, support artists, not just here in New York, but around the world, uh, both in the United Kingdom right now as well as in Australia. And we've got some great, exciting things coming, including merch. 
Hope's been working very hard on getting some merchandise lined up. So we've got amazing things, but we do need your support. So please head to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod, or you can give a one-time donation via Venmo just by searching for Stage Whisper Pod. Anything you're able to give means the world to us. And we want to thank everyone out there who has given. Thank you to all of our patrons out there. You're all amazing. And I think that's enough peddling for now. I think we should probably get to our final thing, which is an incredible whisper in the wings that we have in store. And I'm so excited for this one because it's a returning guest that we have. And I, I love this guy. His show was amazing. I had the amazing honor of seeing it at the Frigid Fringe Festival here in the February. We have Luis Roberto Herrera, whose show As I Eat the World is going to be playing at the Atlanta and San Francisco Fringe Festivals and hopefully coming back for a New York run later this year. But we spoke more about this show and we hope you enjoy our conversation. So with that, please enjoy this great Whisper in the Wings with Luis Roberto Herrera. Welcome back in listeners to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have a wonderful guest to bring to you today, returning to the show, fresh off the Frigid Fringe Festival, I guess, but returning to us to talk about their great show, As I Eat the World. We have the playwright and performer, Luis Roberto Herrera, whose show, As I Eat the World, it will be playing again at the Atlanta and San Francisco Fringe Festivals. The Atlanta Fringe Festival's performance dates are June 8th, 10th, and 11th, and the San Francisco dates are soon to be announced, but the festival runs the 10th through 26th of August. And if you're in those areas or you're looking to make a vacation this summer and check out this show, you can get your tickets and more information by visiting Luis's website or his Instagram bio, which is going to be available on the episode description or at the end of this episode, so you'll want to stay tuned. But we're so excited to welcome back. Luis Roberto Herrera, welcome back to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. So glad to see you and talk to you again. Yeah, glad to be on again. Really glad to be on. I am so excited that we we kind of get this one-on-one instead of one-on-seven interview time. Because I now that I've seen your show, As I Eat the World, which was so wonderful to see at the Frigid Fringe Festival here in New Thank York. Thank you. I'm excited to ask kind of more in-depth questions about the show, but I want to start by kind of like refreshing our listeners about the show itself. So could you tell us a little bit about your show for those maybe who hadn't listened to the episode or maybe haven't seen it? Yeah, for sure. Of course. So my show, As I Eat the World, uh, it's a solo show and it's actually about a a Latine man's journey in confronting his eating disorders and mental health issues by literally attempting to eat the world, attempting to eat the world while kind of going through what brought him to this point, what has made it so bad that he has nothing else he can do except to attempt to eat the world, hoping it can satiate those problems that he's going through. Yes, and it it is a great story of how how you kind of get there too and the reason behind it which is it i'm not going to give it away but it's incredibly relatable 
I, I mean, when I saw it, I almost felt like I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm feeling a little attacked. I'm feeling a little personalized. Like, <laughs> this wasn't included in the brochure, but it's, it's what I loved about this show is, is I yeah. can see a lot of myself in it. And I think a lot of other people could see it as well. So where, I mean, it's a personal story, but how did you come up with the idea to put this personal story onto the stage? What inspired that? Right. Right. So, I mean, first of all, right, this show, while it is personal, it is semi-autobiographical only because, and I won't say what is what, but some things actually did happen to me and some things I just know having happened to other people that I have crossed or that I know or things that I know that are the same experience, but in a different way, which is why it's semi-autobiographical and no one will ever know what is what. But what inspired this kind of show, I've always been a fan of solo shows, starting as far back as Eric Bogosian and John Leguizamo, right? These two kind of masters of the art form that I grew up reading constantly and trying to perform their monologues in my acting classes. And... I realized that I wanted to write a show about something that I was going through because I didn't know how to deal with what I was going through. But I felt like just writing about me talking about it just felt boring. So I need, I, I, I'm like, what is a good metaphor, right? For what this sometimes feels like. And an image came to my mind of a person literally holding the world in their hand and like just taking a bite out of it. And that's kind of how it just like came to my mind. And the title came first before even writing it, the title, as I eat the world. And that's what kind of made me fall in love with it. And then I just started rolling with like other solo shows I've seen and how to go through the process of writing a narrative or like a storytelling type story without it being boring or like slowly expositional but it definitely stemmed from that love of solo shows that I had and how I wanted to tell a story through my own vernacular and my own lens but in a way that could also be entertaining at the same time which I think was is difficult to do yeah now I, I want to ask this is obviously we've had you on before we've seen your show here in New York this show has been performed several times correct yeah, I mean, in New York, it was performed a few times. It was performed once down here for like a private but public audience. And actually, New York was the first time I ever performed it. Oh, ever. okay. That was the first time I ever had it on its feet. I never performed it in front of a, another human being in the room before that time. <laughs> and now it's kind of getting momentum as I'm like doing it more and developing it more and now taking it to these other places. So now with the show starting to pick up steam, more performances being added. What has it been like developing, maybe even changing things? I mean, the show feels like a living, breathing thing. So how has it evolved and changed and whatnot? So like since then, like, I've just started getting into more details, like certain things that were mentioned in the show that you saw up in New York have been, have been kind of cracked open and expanded upon. Right. So we can get that more nitty gritty detail so people can feel more enveloped within the life of this person or of this kind of problem. And I'm actually like slowly trying to expand it because in New York, it timed at like 40 minutes. Now for Atlanta, it's going to be at 50 for San Fran, it's going to be 55. And the hope is to eventually to get it to 90 minutes. It's amazing. It sounds like you're adding a little bit more 
each show. Yeah. So it, the show continues to change and we can get a little bit more into the story each time. Exactly. Yeah, that's the hope. I'm developing it right now as a part of a residency down here in Miami with a, a theater company called City Theater. And I'm a, I'm a part of their homegrown residency. And um, this is that's where I'm developing this solo show right now. Very cool. So with it being such a personal story, a semi-autobiographical story, what is the message or the thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from your show? I'm hoping, you know, that people take away from the show that, that they aren't alone, right? That I know that this eating disorders are a thing that kind of, they feel like you can't talk about them. Because it, it feels like a lot of the time that people can't have a problem with food, right? Because how can you have a problem with a thing that you literally need to live? And especially within the Latinx culture, which a big part of it is food. It's like, how could you have an issue with a thing that is like a bedrock of the culture, right? And I want people walking away knowing that they aren't alone, that they can talk about it, and that there is, there, there can be a way through. Yeah. You know, both for people in the culture and also for men in general, because I know for a fact that there's probably a lot of men that suffer with it and that don't talk about it because they think it's something that only women go through. So how could they be going through that? Yeah. So the final question I want to ask in this first part is, who do you hope have access to your show? I I hope I hope everyone can, right? both people that are dealing with these kind of issues and then both people that they may not know that they know people that are dealing with these issues, right? And in one way or another, we all have a relationship with food, whether it be positive or negative, we all have some kind of relationship and whether we know it or not, in some small ways, the relationship with food is always very complicated. The relationship with our bodies is always very complicated. So I think this kind of show would reach out to anyone whether they be not having not suffering from extreme versions of their disorder those disorders and also at the opposite end of the spectrum because i had people coming up to me after the show people that like were like i never thought about it this way i have been in this kind of family for a long time and i didn't even realize that those kind of things stuck to me and so yeah everyone i hope <laughs> show we always invite our guests to to allow our listeners to get to know them a little bit better pick their brain a little bit and i am excited to kind of pick your brain a little bit more than we had the chance to last time again one-on-one -on -one, not seven-on-one so we yes. can have a little <laughs> bit more in depth and i want to start by asking you you know what inspires you yeah i mean playwrights right off the top of my head that's super easy for me annie baker Annie Baker's a huge inspiration because the way she writes just feels so human. I find myself constantly asking myself and reading my work out loud as I'm writing it to make sure it sounds like something that a person would say, right? I don't wait to hear it later. I, I read it again and again and again, and I even add ums and uhs and every like stutterance that you might see in this solo show on purpose <laughs> because I'm trying to create 
that that human feel like to a T and Annie Baker I think does that expertly so she's someone who I definitely look up to and look towards when it comes to writing and theater wise I mean I never thought about it much composer wise but like you said composer so I immediately thought musical theater and then I immediately thought who is one of the most human composers that I have ever listened to ever and it comes down to the late great Stephen Sondheim because at least when I learned Sondheim's work the one thing that I had directors tell me is that Sondheim doesn't care about if you can sing the best it's about the acting of it he would rather have the best actor sing every one of his songs than the best singer and it makes sense because all his work is so wordy because it's so human yeah you know so that's someone who whenever I listen to his music especially my favorite musical his company which feels like the most grounded in a kind of bleak reality but reality nonetheless you know his kind of work makes me think musical theater can be this real human authentic thing and I feel like a lot of playwrights in general probably took from Sondheim and his rhythms and the way that he works and even if they don't write music they definitely write the way they write because of him agreed absolutely so have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners, even in, in the South Florida area? Yeah, I guess in the South Florida area, theater that I've seen, I mean, I saw a play with music down here called Refuge, which I was actually, it was actually, it was beautiful. It was about literally the experience of like this young girl trying to cross the border and her journey of crossing the border and everything that it took from her and that it took from those involved within it. Beautiful, beautiful piece. I saw it at Theater Lab down here in South Florida. But then also there is that you know, there is actually a play that I know of, only because I, I was I got to sit in and he, and listen to it before it got performed. It's over it's playing at Intar right now. Called it's called Vamanos. Yeah. Vamanos over at Intar. We're seeing that very soon. Good, good. I'm uh, glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I love. I love the playwright. She's she's a great, great person and just an amazing writer. And then there's the other show. I don't know if you'll catch this one over at MCC called Bees and Honey. Yep. The playwright. She's an amazing human. She's the co-artistic director of Latinx Playwright Circle in Guadalupe. Uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. The, both of those shows are my recommendations for New York people. Yes. Great recommendations. Building off of that, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? My favorite part, honestly, and it's only really, it, it's happened more recently. It happened actually because of Lanx Playwright Circle and through some aspect of grad school, but the community, the collaboration. I think the best theater is made when everyone in the room is working together as opposed to one person being the leader and then everyone just like following their demands. I don't feel that that makes for good theater. Like the show that I'm directing right now, it feels like more like a devised piece because I'm I'm constantly working in collaboration with my assistant director, my stage manager, and even the actors, which are high school students, but I'm trying to treat them like they always demand to be treated and it's a part of the collaboration and community and it just it feels like theater and it feels like more like an exciting thing to be a part of when it's done that way because I've been dictated to in a, in a play or in a musical and it, it doesn't really just doesn't feel like anything yeah. you know 
I love that answer. That is a brilliant answer. <laughs> now I am excited for your answer for this next question because we've asked it before. Okay. So I want to see what what another one is. So what is your favorite theater memory? Or another one of your favorite theater memories? Okay. Favorite theater memory. I feel like I might I'm afraid of giving this a, a similar the same answer. Okay, you know what? I have a favorite theater memory. This is for me when I was in something. Actually, when I was in the first solo show I ever wrote. It was a, it was my undergrad thesis. And I wrote a show called Greg. And it had like a longer title after that. But Greg. And at the end of the show, there's like a blackout. Like towards the end of the show, there's a blackout. And I talk to the audience. And then I go back to a table. Because like the whole premise is that I'm on a blind date, but no one has arrived yet. And then when I go back to the table, the blind date has arrived. And the blind date is a blow-up doll. A blow-up doll with like a realistic looking face. And like they're wearing clothes and they have like hair and everything. And the audience's reaction. Like I felt like I could have said nothing for a good five minutes. And they would have just continued to cackle and laugh at the unexpectedness of seeing a blow-up doll sitting in a chair. Uh, it, it felt great because like, it felt great, not only because, you know, laughter always feels good when a show is supposed to be funny, but it felt great because it's like, I wrote that moment and they are responding so well to the moment. And in, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm a playwright. <laughs> that moment just like sparked so many things. And it felt really, really good to, to have that. And every time I, I performed it, like I think two times in total, and every time it happened, it, it just like, it fueled me for like that ending moment of the show. That's definitely a favorite, favorite theater memory. Yeah, I think that's the one I'll give. Yeah, that's my favorite theater memory. It changes. Right now, that's my favorite theater memory because I'm right now in the solo show mindset. So definitely that. I love that. I want to see the show now. <laughs> If for nothing else, for the light to come up and see you at a table with a blow-up doll, like yes, I mean, hey, you know, stay tuned. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be submitting it for the frigid fringe next year. Yes, yes. <laughs> what a wonderful memory! Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, kind of building off the hopeful future return to the frigid fringe. Are there any other productions or projects you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Yeah, actually. I mean, you know, outside from the Atlanta Fringe and San Francisco Fringe for the same solo show, a short play of mine called Plastic Flowers will be premiering at Summer Shorts at City Theater down here in Miami, Florida. It'll be like produced with uh, seven other playwrights, seven other plays from this homegrown residency that I'm a part of down here in Miami. And uh, that'll have a, I believe, three week run in june yeah and then possibility of this solo show as i eat the world possibly returning to new york possibly in december you know can't officially say anything at the moment but keep keep eyes and ears open love that fingers crossed fingers here's crossed hoping. here's hope and we'll make a stage whisper attendance night yes Take please part. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about As I Eat the World or about you, maybe they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? 
Okay. Well, everyone can reach me either. They can reach me at Instagram at Lewis, And then they can also reach me on my website, which is just my full name, right? Luis Roberto Herrera, my full name. And that's, yeah, my website or my Instagram. Those are the two best places to reach me um, because I'm constantly checking my email, which my website is connected to. And I'm constantly checking Instagram to see if I get messages from anyone that I've been messaging. Well, Luis, thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always a joy speaking with you, especially about this great show, As I Eat the World. I'm serious. I think I got to make some plans to go out west and come down south. Uh, please, out. please do. I'm See so happy to have been on here. Yes. And then hopefully welcome you back up here to the Big Apple in December. Here's hoping. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think it's looking good and announcements will be made soon. Either way. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll be staying tuned to your Instagram and website. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, and thank you for having me. It's meant a lot. Thank you. My guest today has been the playwright and performer Luis Roberto Herrera, whose show As I Eat the World is continuing performances at the Atlanta Fringe Festival on June 8th, 10th, and 11th, and at the San Francisco Fringe Festival. Those dates will be announced later, but that festival plays the 10th of August to the 26th. You can get the link for tickets and more information by visiting Luis's website, and his Instagram, which we'll have on the episode description, as well as on our social media. The biggest takeaway here, guys, is you need to follow Luis. You need to go out and support. Check out his work. It really is incredible. We were absolutely honored to have him on our show, talking about his work at the Frigid Fringe, and then actually getting to see it. It really was one of the best shows we saw at the Frigid Fringe, so we're so happy to be able to speak more about it today. But make sure if you're in the Atlanta or San Francisco area, or hopefully later this year in the New York area, you check out As I Eat the World, as well as Plastic Flowers later in June down in Miami. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>